Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program designed to let you hear from educational leaders and people in the field of education and, and about some of the education issues facing us. Uh, today we'll be talking to specifically more to people who are candidates for the Board of Ed, uh, thinking they're running for the school board. <coughs> for the school board. Uh, my name is Ray Penny. I'll be uh, the host uh, for this evening's program. Uh, with me is John Burns from our legal department. Welcome, John. Thank you. And also uh, is Terry Lewis uh, from our field service department. Uh, welcome, uh, Terry. Good evening, and thank you all. Um, just uh, before we get started, you know, the board of uh, the, the election is less than a week away. Uh, we probably at some point we'll have probably three, four hundred new school board members. Uh, so a lot of this will be new to them. Uh, I do want to before we get into the question that I probably should, and I'm going to surprise John and Terry on this. But um, Terry, I introduced you as a field service rep. If someone gets elected to the board, what's the field service department, and how do you help school board members? Well, in the state of New Jersey, there are over 500 school districts. So there are currently eight field service reps, um, and we handle the, um, I guess, the day-to-day questions of uh, individual board members. So we each divide up the counties, like I have Camden, Gloucester, and Salem counties. Um, There's reps for pretty much two or three counties, except in Bergen there's one. And we look at it as though we are like the, uh, the air traffic controllers, so if you have a question and you come to us, if we can't answer it, we know the best people that you can talk to in the organization to get the information that you want. Okay. And I, I, for you school board candidates, if you get elected, find out who your field service rep is. Uh, it's on our website. And then that should probably should be your first phone call because it's kind of like the clearinghouse for the questions, as Terry alluded to. And, John, you work for two departments, uh, but briefly – Describe your uh, what you do. Well, uh, I'm um, an attorney for the association, and I work both in our legal department and in our governmental relations department. Um, and among the many things uh, uh, that the two departments do um, is we provide um, legal information for board members. In other words, if you'd like information about uh, the latest cases, statutes, or regulations, um, we can uh, we can provide those for you, and we can also help you figure out um, the questions that you may need to ask of your own board attorneys. Um, and while we can provide information, uh, we cannot, however, provide legal advice. Um, that is the role of the board attorney uh, themselves. All right, I'm going to get to the first question for those listening. Uh, if you have a question and you want me to pass it on, we have a chat room feature. You go to the, the website where you're listening and just log in with Blog Talk Radio. There's no fee for that. And you just type in your question or comment, and I'll pass it on to either Terry uh, or John. Uh, John, uh, let's start with you. Uh, it's a legal you know, – there are a lot of legal requirements that guide school board members in their roles and responsibilities. Um, and a lot of people do not realize that. Uh, let's get to first, like the conflicts of interest. Uh, what are some conflicts that might uh, arise that board members should be aware of 
uh, like if they have a relative that works in the district or something of that sort? Well, um, if you have relatives that work in the district, um, there are a couple of things that you need to be aware of. Uh, first of all, um, there is no prohibition on your relative uh, continuing to work in the district um, if if you become a board member um, uh, while they are an employee in the district. However, um, uh, you as a board member will be um, restricted from uh, voting or discussing anything having to do uh, with your relative's employment in, this, in the district or um, with anyone along the chain of command of your relative in the district. Um, but um, these restrictions will have no um, impact on the ability of your relative to advance in their career in the district. Thank you. Um, and it, just a little quick follow-up. Uh, if they have the, what happens if they're um they work for a company that does business with the district or they have their own business is there, are there restrictions in that area too um yes and and these are all very factually uh specific um uh inquiries and but in general um if you have a um business um uh that that um has a contract with the district that may um, uh, require you to step down from the board depending on uh, what your role is in that business, um, or it may just require you to uh, abstain from any um, uh, votes or discussions with regard to that business. The um, School Ethics Commission and the Commissioner oversee the whole realm of of conflicts of interest and um, there are a variety of of cases that are very factually specific um, that govern this area. So, for instance, um, if you are the owner of the business and you have a contract with the school district, uh, that may require you then to either um, uh, uh, cease uh, operating that business um, or uh, you might have to step down from the board because state law requires that you cannot have a contract um, with um, a school district while at the same time being a board member. Um, the commissioner has said over the years that it also depends on who it is that has the contract so that, for instance, if you work for a large bank, for instance, um, and you are a bank teller and had no um, involvement in the contract itself, um, you may be able to still continue uh, uh, in the employment of the bank even if the uh, school district has uh, an account with the bank because the commissioner recognizes that as a bank teller, um, you had no um, opportunity to uh, actually grab the business of the district. But again, these are all very factually specific uh, instances and uh, what's really required if there's ever any kind of potential conflict is that a board member consult uh, with the board attorney uh, to see how their potential conflict may affect 
their um, participation in various board decisions and ultimately um, on the board as a whole. Okay, and you mentioned the School Ethics Commission, and we're going to get, just for those listening, we're going to get to the Code of Ethics and the School Ethics Commission a little bit fairly uh, quickly. Uh, I'm going to switch over to Terry. Uh, Terry and John will be covering a lot of the legal requirements, uh, but to be an effective board member, is sometimes it's the relationships that you have, the working relationships you have with the superintendent and other board members. Uh, and we'll start with the, the superintendent. Um, what are the separate roles, you know, between the board? What's the role of the board member? What's the role of the superintendent? And could you briefly go go over that? Sure, absolutely. You know, a lot of times when people get on the board, you know, they come from uh, maybe a background situation where they were on the the PTA or the home and school, or maybe um, the local. Um, you know, little league, and in those people, in those instances, people on the board are what we call kind of doers. They do things for their organization. When you're a board member, it's not the same as being on any of those organizations. You're an elected official, and you have a superintendent of your school district, and each school district is required to have a superintendent. The superintendent is the one that takes care of what we call the day-to-day operation of the school. You know, they do all the interviews. They recommend people for hiring. Uh, they make sure that the uh, the bills are being paid, that the curriculum is being evaluated, that the testing is being done. They're responsible for the day-to-day operation. Board members and the board as a whole um, are responsible for oversight of the district. So that means making sure that your superintendent is doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. They look at it more from a higher level view. You know, the superintendent, you know, he's down on the ground, boots on the ground. Uh, The board is more of a strategic view. They take care of things like, you know, what what is our mission? What are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish in broad views? And then the superintendent is the one that carries those out. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm sorry. Um, uh, if you want to hold the superintendent ac- accountable, uh, there's a evaluation process and a goal setting process. So that uh, is, is that the board's role in that when they work with the superintendent? Absolutely, and that that's part of the accountability process. And what we say is it always starts with goals. So annually. And and we say annually, it's not exactly January, you know, to December. We look at it as though it's a school year. So somewhere around June, July, the board needs to sit down and say, you know what, this is what's on our plate. This is what we want to accomplish this year. Um, And that conversation takes place with the superintendent so that we can all have a say in, okay, here's where we are and here's where we want to be, and these are the three or four areas that we we want you to work on this year, and you formulate those into goals. At the end of the school year, it is absolutely imperative that the board conduct an evaluation of the superintendent, because that's a major part of the oversight, and say, okay, well, here are the goals that we had. 
Um, this is what's been accomplished. This is what we still have left. And how well were they carried out? And that's a major part in the board performing its oversight function. All right. Um, so it's important to have that relate the the whole board have that relationship with the the superintendent. Um, I, I I have a question in the chat room. I'll pass on to you, John. Uh, I guess when we were talking about conflicts of interest, someone wanted to know: uh, Can the board member own a bookstore in a neighboring town, and the teachers buying books from that buy books from that bookstore uh, not at a discounted pr price? Uh, um. Uh. The the answer I'll I'll, I'll give a uh, a lawyerly answer to that, and the answer is maybe. Um, there have been uh, cases in the past where um, uh, board members have had businesses, and uh, in those cases in the past, uh, the school ethics commission has said that um, uh, those board members can continue those businesses, and um, uh, district staff may frequent those businesses, but um, the board members should take no affirmative role in advertising um, or encouraging um, uh, staff uh, to frequent um, uh, those businesses. Um, what I would say to that uh, um, uh, member, should he be elected to the board, is um, to get a an advisory opinion from the School Ethics Commission with regard to um, this uh, uh, potential conflict, uh, so that the, therefore then the School Ethics Commission can weigh in on the specific facts of this situation, um, because every conflict situation is very factually specific, and getting um, an advisory opinion from the School Ethics Commission um, is, is the best way to go um, to make sure that board members don't run afoul of the School Ethics Act. You know what? Uh, this is probably a good segue into uh, the School Ethics Commission and, the, and uh, what the Code of Ethics is. Because so you briefly, because that's how we're, uh, board members, uh, their role is guided. So can you briefly uh, tell us what the Code of Ethics is and how the School Ethics Commission folds into that? Because you're you're telling people to go to that group. Certainly. Um, so the School Ethics Commission um, is uh, the body that the state has set up uh, within the Department of Education to um, uh, provide guidance and also to adjudicate issues concerning the ethical behavior of school board members. And the School Ethics Act um, really has two parts to it. The first part um, has to do with um, the relationships that I have with others in terms of um, uh, my relatives, my family members, my business associates. And the, the first part of the School Ethics Act um, deals with the fact that um, you need to uh, abstain from involvement uh, dealing with those individuals as it concerns um, school board business. Um, the second part of the act, as you mentioned, the the code of ethics really governs um, uh, a board member's individual um, decision-making and requires that uh, a board member uh, make decisions that are really in the best interest of the um, 
school district. So, for instance, the code of ethics says uh, that one, a board member will uphold and enforce all laws and rules. Um, and two, it says that a board member will make decisions in terms of the educational welfare of children. Um, three, and, and very importantly, that a board member will confine their board actions to policy making, planning, and appraisal. Um, next, it requires that a board member uh, be sure not to administer the schools, but to see that they are well run. Um, the next thing that the Code of Ethics requires is that um, a Board of Education member make no personal promises nor take any private action that will compromise the board. Um, finally, uh, the, uh, the School Ethics Act requires that we uh, make sure that um, when we make decisions that we are not doing so uh, for the gain of polit political groups, for the gain of, of yourself, or for the gain of your family or friends. Um, and then it also requires that you support administrators in the proper performance of their duties, that you respect the chain of command, um, and that you hold those matters confidential, which, if disclosed, would uh, needlessly uh, injure individuals or the schools. And finally, it requires that um, uh, board members always provide accurate information uh, when it comes to school matters. And that, in a long explanation, is what the uh, Code of Ethics is all about. Yes, and uh, we do whole programs just on the Code of Ethics um, uh, for those listening. And I probably within your first month, uh, maybe not the first meeting, but the second meeting, uh, most districts will have uh, – and Terry, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Most districts will be uh, reviewing the Code of Ethics, or they should be reviewing uh, the Code of Ethics. Um, is that correct, that they should be discussing that? Maybe a, a new board member should ask a little bit more detailed questions. You know, if I were a new board member and they're presenting the code of, of ethics, which a lot of them do at a at a reorg meeting, they'll get them to explain some of those to you. You know, some of them can be self-explanatory, but some of them, when you look at them, you're like, okay, now tell me exactly what this means in terms of my role as a board member. So we look at it as, you know, these are the lines and the lanes that a board member stays in. So it pretty much defines what your role is. So as long as you understand them, um, you should never be able to step outside of that role. Yeah, and 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 it gets a little tricky. Uh, and I think John was very good at saying that you have, there's a school ethics commission and there are advisory opinions. You can also go to your board attorney for guidance. But a, a simple little thing uh, that uh, Terry, I'll direct this to you is like just. Can a board member just walk into the building and say, you know what, I've only been in elementary school. I'm going to go visit the uh, the high school. I haven't never been in the high school. Uh, what's if a board member wants to do that? A new board member, how should they go about doing that? You know, if you really want to visit the high school or you want to see some of the other you know places in the district where you haven't been, the best thing for you to do is number one, talk to the board president. 
um, and let them know what your intentions are, and they will probably tell you to please contact the superintendent of the district. Um, a lot of times the superintendent would like to take you around and, you know, show you the different areas, um, things that you probably wouldn't have access to on your own. Um, but you should never just try to go into a school building by yourself and say, hey, I'm a board member, let me in. Um, that's not the protocol. And you actually probably have a policy somewhere along the line that says, you know, if you want to do X, Y, and Z, um, then you should probably contact the superintendent. Yeah, and the board member has no more right to walk into buildings as anyone from the, any other citizen, correct? Absolutely not. You know, the board, um, your, your rights as a board member extend at a legally advertised meeting because that's when the board has power. Because when you need to do something, when you need to approve curriculum, um, spend money, pay bills, whatever, it has to be with a majority of the board. So the only time that you can do that and the only time that a board member has power is at a legally advertised meeting. After that, um, you know, you're kind of like Joe Citizen, uh, just like the rest of the parents and community members out there. Yes. All right. Uh, we're we're going to move on. Um, uh, uh, John, one of the things that uh, a lot of people do not know when they become uh, when they decide to become a candidate for the board member, you have to do a couple things pretty quickly after you're elected. Uh, well, one thing very quickly. Um, one is uh, the criminal background check. I want you to explain that, and then followed up by you have training requirements that have to be uh, uh, adhered to. So could you quickly go over that? Certainly. Um, uh, as uh, all candidates know, when they file their petition, um, one of the things that they certify is that um, they do not have a disqualifying uh, criminal record. And um, upon election, um, if you are uh, the winning candidate, um, you will then be uh, contacted um, uh, by the uh, business administrator or the board secretary uh, in the district um, who will um, uh, provide you with a form that they will ask you to fill out, which will then be submitted to the Department of Education. And what the Department of Education will do will uh, be to verify um, uh, that you do not have um, any disqualifying crimes um, on your record. Um, and it's a, sim it's a process very similar to the process that um, teachers go through when they um, uh, get hired in the district. Um, and then what happens is uh, the department will issue um, a, a letter, um, a, a clearance letter, basically saying that they have verified uh, that uh, you have no disqualifying crimes on your record. Uh, once uh, that occurs, um, you can uh, then, uh, when you are sworn in at the organization meeting, uh, you can then be assured that you have satisfied that requirement for not having a, a disqualifying criminal record. Um, and and that's, uh, that's the important step uh, with regard to that. Uh, tell me again the uh, second part of the question, Ray. The training requirements that they have yes. to adhere to. So um, 
New Jersey uh, has a rigorous training regimen uh, set up for school board members in New Jersey. Uh, state law requires that board members have training in the first year, the second year, the third year, and also the first year of any subsequent term um, regarding um, their role as um, Board of Education members. So, for instance, um, uh, we have what is known as Governance One uh, for new board members, and that covers a whole variety of um, different topics for board members, including ethics, including the requirements of the Sunshine Law, including the um, uh, some requirements with regard to uh, finance and student achievement, uh, labor relations, uh, and other topics in there as well. Uh, in the second year, a board member will have to take um, a finance course regarding school district finances. Uh, the third year, uh, it, the focus is on student achievement. And then if you uh, want to continue your board member uh, service beyond that first term, in your uh, first year of your subsequent term, uh, you will then um, uh, have to take a legal update, which uh, encompasses uh, any changes in law, regulation, or case law um, that may have occurred since you first became a board member. Thanks. Uh, and I'll add a little uh, – NJSB has numerous training programs that are not just the mandatory. If you're elected, you can go to county school board associations. You can go to online training. Some of the mandatory is online. We have conferences, workshops. Uh, and most people find it very uh, helpful. Uh, I do have another question in the chat room, uh, and this uh, I think both of us, uh, both of you, could uh, comment on uh, is regarding the, the role of the board attorney uh, and the relationship with the superintendent and the board president. If, if you're an individual board member and you're not sure about the, uh, um, I guess this candidate's a little unsure of their relationship with the current board president and or superintendent. Can they reach out directly to the role to, to the board attorney themselves uh, without going through the superintendent and uh, board president? Uh, Terry, do you want to – because this is a little bit about relationships too. Okay. I'm going to take a stab, and I'm going to try to stay away from the legalities, and John can jump in there. Okay. Okay. So the – we, we already talked about the, the superintendent is responsible for the day-to-day -day operations. The board is a more uh, strategic view. So the board president has some roles that are given to them by law. Uh, you, know, you, you can sign checks. You can sign contracts for the district after they've been approved by the board. So there's like some things that you can do by law. But then any of their other power is given to them through policy. So you might find out that the board has a policy that the board president is a spokesperson for the board. Uh, so if there are any issues, it's the board president that not gives their opinion but speaks the board's opinion on a certain issue. Um, one of the other things that they also do is, and you'll find a policy on that, generally most boards have one that says that the board president sets uh, uh, or constructs the agenda for the meeting with the superintendent. So that's a joint effort. 
the board attorney is actually the attorney for the board. That being said, um, because there could be anywhere from 5 to 11 or 12 board members, that doesn't mean that all board members have the right to pick up the phone and, and contact the board attorney on any issue. Um, a lot of those can be directed through the board president to get the answer. Um, and if you really want to find out more about how it works, there should be a policy in your district concerning who can and when to contact the board attorney. And uh, just to add to that, um, all board members should keep in mind that the board attorney represents the board as the corporate entity and does not represent any individual board member and does not necessarily represent um, the superintendent. Uh, and um, so one of the key things with that is while the board attorney may work closely with the superintendent or may work closely with the with the board president, the board attorney represents the board as the corporate entity. Consequently, um, uh, if a board member has a question, uh, they need to keep in mind that um, uh, the board attorney will be advising them with regard to your role as a board member uh, as part of that corporate um, uh, that corporate body. Um, and one of the uh, other things to keep in mind with this is that the state has particular regulations concerning um, the uh, costs, the legal costs that a board will incur. And as part of that, the state has said to board members that we want you to, to keep a close eye on your legal costs and um, as a result of those legal costs to always have some sort of process, procedure, or policy in place that talks about how to contact the board attorneys so that um, if you're on a nine-member board, the board, mem the board attorney is not receiving nine different calls um, about perhaps what might be the same subject um, and thereby incurring um, uh, many um, uh, costs with regard to that. And instead, uh, many uh, boards have policies that say uh, that in order to reach the board attorney, you must first contact the board president, um, and only after contacting the board president uh, can you uh, contact the board attorney directly. Um, the board attorney is uh, one and indispensable um, member of of the district team, um, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you use the board attorney responsibly, and that's why the state has uh, said to districts that you need to have a process or procedure in place for contacting the board attorney. And I and I will add from my experience that uh, I have found districts uh, actually a new board president couldn't understand why their legal bills were so high. Is their board policy let any administrator or board member call? And everyone was calling, and so they were being charged and not. So that board member should not take it personally that they're not allowed to call. Most boards do it for financial reasons more than anything else. Um, and John, just a follow-up because I want to get to Terry about relationships because some of these questions get to that. Um, 
if you want to get advice related to or information about the Open Public Meetings Act, uh, if you're, someone's a school board member, can they call our legal department and just get clarification? Or they can even call their field yes. representative if it's a basic question. Yes, certainly. Um, uh, as, I, as I said at the top of the program, our um, the New Jersey School Boards Association has what is known as the Attorney of the Day program, and uh, any board member in the state can uh, contact um, uh, the Attorney of the Day, and the Attorney of the Day can provide, uh, again, information with regard to statutes, regulations, uh, or cases concerning, for instance, um, uh, the Open Public Meetings Act, otherwise known as uh, as the Sunshine Law. What uh, the only the limitation that we do, however, have, however, is we cannot provide advice with regard to uh, particular actions that uh, a board member should or should not take. But we can certainly provide um, uh, the statutes or the cases or the regulations um, uh, to the board member, and certainly. Uh, uh, suggest to the board member various questions that they may want to ask of their uh, superintendent or or board attorney for uh, clarification on specific legal advice. Uh, some of that uh, couple questions ago, Terry, seemed to be uh, uh, someone's coming as a new board member and they feel like they, I, it looks like they may not have a relationship with the the, the current board president. Maybe they're a, a new person uh, on the, coming from a parent group. If you're coming on as a board member, uh, a new board member, and you don't really know the current board uh, or the administration really that well, what is some advice you would give? You know, I think first and foremost, it's important to understand that uh, being on a board is, is, is much akin to a team sport. So as one board member, you're not really going to accomplish what you think you, can, you, you want to accomplish because you're going to need the votes of at least, if you're a nine-member board, of at least four other people to accomplish what you want to do. We kind of like to say you have to have four other friends on the board. So you kind of have to learn how to work within a team dynamic because boards really are teams. Um, so you may not have a relationship with those people right away, um, but it is important that you establish yourself as a, you know, fair-minded, credible person, you know, who's willing to listen um, and understand that you're not probably going to be able to push your agenda uh, like the first meeting that you come out of the gate there. Um, maybe not even a second meeting. Uh, yeah, and maybe not right. even the second. So the most important part is to... You know, look at your fellow board members um, the way that you would want them to look at you. So, you know, everybody runs for the board because they have a particular reason. Nobody runs because they go, gee, I want to do a terrible job. You know, you run for the board because you want to do X or because, you know, you were a former educator uh, or because you wanted to see that the community's tax dollars were being spent well. Whatever it is, everybody wanted to get elected to do a specific job. So for you to establish a relationship is to treat them the way that you would prefer that they treat you. And I think for your first couple of meetings, you should probably do a lot of listening. If your board um, has a mentorship program and they say, hey, look, we're going to assign uh, 
Joe Smith here as your mentor. Feel free to call them if you have any questions. Uh, by all means, take advantage of that. You know, those are the people that can steer you in the right direction, um, that can tell you probably some history on the board. So take advantage of a mentor if they offer that type of a program on your board. Um, read your board bylaws. Um, and your board bylaws will tell you everything about the governance of the board that you need to know. Who's the spokesperson for the board? How does the agenda get developed? Um, how policies are enacted? So it will give you a whole lot about um, you know, how the board operates. So make sure that you take a look at those. And some districts also have what they call in-district orientation, which kind of went to a lot of the questions you talked about. But maybe even with the facilities, can you, uh, could, uh, can you explain what an in-district orientation is for a new board member? Because they may, after they win, they may get that phone call. Absolutely. There are a lot of districts that have in-district orientations, and that's an opportunity for you to meet um, with the superintendent, uh, for you to meet with the BA, for you to meet with the board president, sometimes the vice president. And everybody kind of has a little piece of the story that they want to tell you. So the superintendent could, in his orientation, up, update you on you know, the district goals. Here's what we're working on this year. Here are some major projects that we're working on. Here's uh, the progress of our goals. We, you may have a strategic plan. Um, they may show you the plan and say, here's, you know, here's where we're deriving our goals, and this is why we're doing this. Um, the BA in an in-district orientation, the business administrator, could give you um, some uh, overview into the district finances. You know, here's where a majority of our revenue comes from. Here's what our um, our budget looks like, uh, which everyone has a user-friendly budget. So if you haven't seen that, um, ask them to show that to you. If there are you know things that you don't understand, ask them to explain it. They're more than happy to do that. And then an in-district orientation with the board president kind of be like this is the way, uh, this is the culture of the board. This is what we do. Um, these are the rules that we kind of operate under. Um, and that's the best way for you to get your feet wet. So if your district has one of those, you're really lucky. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important for building those relationships. Uh, to be successful, you have to get along, not get along, but you have to have a good respectful relationship with the other board members in the administration. Um, so I'm going to move on because um, there's a couple other things that a lot of times, John, uh, people run for the board. Maybe they got endorsed by the teachers' union. Uh, what should they know about that if they get endorsed by the teachers' union and they win the election? What are the ramifications? Well, one of the things that they should keep in mind is that the um, union endorsement uh, may have an impact on uh, some of the issues that they deal with um, uh, at the board level. Uh, for instance, um, uh, if they are endorsed by the union um, while uh, the board is currently in negotiations, that may have an impact on their ability to participate um, on the negotiation team uh, because of the endorsement. Um, uh, one of the uh, suggestions that I would make is that if a board member finds themselves uh, uh, in that area where they have been endorsed by the union uh, and um, they 
are then asked to either participate in negotiations or to approve um, the teacher's contract, for, in, for instance, uh, they should consult with the board attorney um, regarding the specifics of that so that the board attorney can advise them uh, as to whether or not they can participate given um, the School Ethics Commission opinions uh, concerning um, union endorsement of candidates. Okay, uh, and I'm going to Someone's an elected board member, Terry, and uh, a, and a lot of times maybe they come from the, they're active as parents, um, and the parent comes up to them and says, "Oh, you're on the board now. I have an issue. Um, can you help me? How should you handle it now? Because you're 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 not a parent. I mean, you're still a parent, but it's a different role now that you're on the board." Yeah, and we can pretty much guarantee that that is going to happen to you. Uh, you know, sooner or later at a at a at one of the uh, athletic fields, at the supermarket, you know, at a, at, a, at a birthday party, one of the community members is going to say, hey, listen, I have a problem. I know you're a board member. Can you help me? And the, the really correct answer is, you know, I would love to, but that's not really our role as a board member. So remember back earlier on in the program, we said that it's the superintendent that is responsible for the day-to-day -day operation. So if someone is having an issue with uh, whatever it is, their child, with the homework, with the bus, whatever, um, that's not something that you as a board member can fix. That's not your job. That's not oversight, and that's not strategic. That's day-to-day -day operation. So I think what you need to do is tell um, that parent or that community member that, hey, you know what, that's not really what we do as board members, uh, but... I would suggest that, you know, you follow the chain of command and contact either the teacher or the principal of the school. Um, and then if you're not finding the information that you need there, you can take it higher. You know, maybe go to the, uh, you know, the transportation supervisor and then ultimately the superintendent. But really, as a board member, you can only act on those complaints after, uh, failure of an administrative solution, and it gets to the board level. And, Ray, just to add to that, the um, Code of Ethics uh, specifically requires exactly what Terry uh, has described. The uh, Code of Ethics says that uh, a board member will refer all complaints to the chief, chief school administrator, in other words, the superintendent, and will act only on the complaints at public meetings after the failure of an administrative solution. Yeah, and a lot of the things I will pass on that we're discussing here are all part of that code of ethics. Your your role is kind of framed that way. And John, I want to follow up because the, one of the questions in the chat room was about the Open Public Meeting Act, who they could go to. Uh, now, I'm going to say this for the person listening, we do entire programs just on the Sunshine Law and the Open Public Meetings Act and the Open Public Records Act. Could you give a brief overview of the Sunshine Law just uh, so that after they get elected, they come to one of those programs? Certainly. Um, so uh, a brief thumbnail sketch of the, of the Open Public Meetings Act or the Sunshine Law as it's known, there are two basic requirements. One, that there is a majority of board members who are gathered together to, and this is the second part, discuss 
public business. Um, and those are the two things that trigger the requirements of the Sunshine Law. And the Sunshine Law requires notice to the public about a meeting um, and uh, requires um, that that notice have in it the time of the meeting. Um, and the uh, Sunshine Law also requires then that, that certain procedures uh, be observed. For instance, um, at a board meeting, you have what is known as both an open session and a closed session, otherwise known as an executive session. And in an open session, uh, a board um, may consider a variety of items. However, there are certain items that are reserved only for the closed session, and generally those are matters um, uh, that deal with confidentiality or privacy in general. Um, for instance, um, uh, the uh, closed session requirements of the Open Public Meetings Act require that things like um, uh, the terms and conditions of, of negotiations for the, for the um, agreement uh, be done in closed session. Um, matters dealing with uh, protecting the safety and property of the public um, be held in closed session. Matters dealing with uh, personal privacy or um, matters involving the employment, appointment, termination, um, or the terms and conditions of employment um, or evaluation of personnel uh, be held um, in closed session. Uh, and so it's important to, to understand uh, that difference um, and that certain matters may be held in closed session because they are um, uh, by their very nature confidential or, or uh, privacy related. And I'm just passing on to those listeners. Uh, John did an excellent job, but as I said before, we will probably do an entire program just on the Sunshine Law and closed session. A uh, uh, piece of advice I would add is once you're in that closed session, sometimes people start talking and conversations go in different directions. You have to keep it within that direction uh, while you're there. You can't start going into other areas, and I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. Uh, right, we've and, actually, and, uh, and I, would, I would encourage um, uh, board members to also look at our variety of publications um, uh, because many of those, uh, whether it's an article or, or a full uh, publication, deal with the issues concerning uh, the Sunshine Law. Uh, we're coming to a close, and uh, I'm going to ask the three of us to give any final hints uh, and that we might want to give to a, a newly elected board member. Terry, we'll start with you. You know, I, I think if I had to say one thing, I would I would say you know remember in all of it this is all about the kids and education you know and don't let some of the other things get in the way. Uh, John, I would say two things. Uh, number one, uh, please um, think of New Jersey School Boards Association as your partner in your journey as a board member and. Secondly, and most importantly, understand that the greatest role that a board member has is to set the conditions for the achievement of the students in your district. 
Okay, and I'm going to give an invitation. If you win your board election, uh, you don't have to wait till you sit on the board to go to a county school board association meeting. You can contact me at rpenny at njsba.org. Uh, you're welcome to start attending NGS, some of the NJSBA events before you take office. Um, so, uh, and take advantage, find out who your field service representative is, uh, and give them a call before you come on. Uh, reach out to NJSBA. I think uh, John said it, and uh, I think you'll. We we're here to help you. Uh, I hope Ray. you guys all enjoyed this. Yep. Can yep. I also mention that uh, we're offering a three R's program: roles, responsibilities, and relationships. Early in yep. December. And it is for newly elected board members, and all the information is available on our website. Great. And actually, we'll have a podcast about preparing for your first reorganization meeting. Uh, so uh, uh, please uh, reach out to anybody. You can reach out to Terry Lewis, John Burns, or myself. We're all on the website. And I hope you all enjoyed this program and found it useful. Uh, good night. And uh, first of all, thank you, Terry. Thank you, John. Uh, as always, you were very informative. My pleasure. You're welcome. Bye now.